Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am very delighted and excited to welcome as my guest, Wayne Termel. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Well, thank you. I think you need to raise the bar on what delights you, but I'm happy to be here. I'm absolutely thrilled. (laughs) Well, I think, Wayne, you're going to provide such great information to my guests. That's one reason I'm so excited about talking to you. Let me give uh, my audience a little bit more about who you are. Wayne Tremell is the co-founder of the Remote Leadership Institute and author or co-author of 12 books, including this latest one, which I happen to have, The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership, which he wrote with Kevin Eikenberry. Wayne has spent 25 years, that's about like me, Wayne, in the leadership and communication skills space. And the last 15, he has specialized in something that's very pertinent today, which is virtual communication and remote work. He joins us today from Las Vegas, right? Indeed, that where, is where like I are. Many of us, he's working from home. So, Wayne, let's just roll back for a minute before we get into some of the details of the book, uh, which was excellent, by the way. I highly recommend it for all organizations or consultants who are working with companies where a lot of the workforce is working remotely now. But first, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you come to do the work you do today? Um, I spent the early part of my adulthood frittering it away in the entertainment business. And as these things go, at some point, the wife and child insisted on eating. And the Venn diagram of jobs where, you know, you get to have a big boy job and the only skill I have is stand there and talk kind of led me to corporate training. Uh, But as it turns out, I have a passion for it. And I've always had a passion for helping people communicate better and and maximize their opportunities. I've seen too many people, really good, talented people, not get what they're worth from their careers and their jobs and their lives. Hmm. Um, And so that's always been kind of a passion for me. I started teaching presentation skills, communication skills, all the stuff that you would think. But I remember about 15 years ago, somebody said to me, you know, presentation skills are great, but I only talk to people like four times a year. The rest of the time I'm either on the phone or I'm using this WebEx thing. And I realized that nobody was helping people that were being forced to use these tools, learn how to use them in effective ways. And that's what began my journey. And then uh, over many years, and I knew Kevin for a long time, my specialty was the communication presentation, uh, using the technology piece. Kevin's expertise, as you well know, is in leadership. 
and rather than invent two different wheels, we kind of smooshed them together. Uh, we had known each other for years and we kind of smooshed our companies together to create the Remote Leadership Institute, which kind of leveraged both our areas of expertise. Um, so that's how we got here. And from those conversations, look, I have a copy too, uh, <laughs> is where the long distance leader came from. Well, you know, over the last several months, this idea of working from home, working remotely, you know, companies had to suddenly adjust to that. And yet sure. you've worked on this with your uh, Remote Leadership Institute for years. It's almost like you were, you know, able to foretell the future, but there were some trends. There were some things that caused you to go in that direction. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, it's true that I feel a little bit like the crazy guy with the sandwich board who's been walking up and down the street saying the end is near. And now I just need a new sandwich board that says, told you, you know, that's kind of how I feel. The trend was beginning a long time ago and we were getting a lot of questions about how do we lead teams and how do I work when I'm remote? And, and I have a tendency to look back at people who have been successful at this long before me. And I realized that people have always worked remotely. Genghis Khan ruled half the world and never held a WebEx meeting. You know, Julius Caesar did great out in the field. It's when he went back to the office, things went a little pear-shaped. So it's always been doable and there are some things that need to change. I mean, you've read the book, you know that our, our primary model basically says, you know all that leadership and management stuff that you need to do? You still need to do it, all of it, every bit of it. What, what you do as a leader hasn't changed. What has changed is how we do it. And we're communicating in ways that are literally unnatural. And so some people made the move kind of instinctively and they've embraced the opportunity. Other organizations freaked out, refused to let people work from home, even though the genie was out of the bottle. And now that we're dealing with a COVID world, it's not even a post-COVID world yet, uh, while we're dealing with a COVID world, a lot of the reasons for not letting people work from home have kind of been blown out of the water. Mm -hmm. But people weren't prepared. Uh, and I can geek out on all the social, psychological stuff that nobody took into account. But at the end of the day, this is going to be the reality. Uh, and we can talk about long-term trends and all of that stuff. But you can't just throw people in the deep end and expect them to succeed. They need some structure. They need some framework for thinking about their work. And, and that's what we set out to do. And what, you know, I want to kind of tackle this from both sides, the leaders and the workers. Let's look at the leaders first. What are you seeing as some of the greatest concerns that leaders have about dealing with remote workers that they didn't have to deal with when they were in the office? Well, it's funny. Senior leadership were the hardest to convince that remote working would ever work. Their question is always, how do we know that they're working? Right? How do we know that they're not 
on Facebook or at Target when they should be working and we're paying them, right? And the individual, the, the kind of first line supervisors didn't worry about that. They knew that people were working. People, believe it or not, tend to work. <laughs> so there was this concern, but the, the big thing is they say, well, you know, how do we know that they're working? Well, anybody who's worked in an office has had plenty of coworkers who've clocked in early, left late, and didn't accomplish a darn thing. But the boss could stand there and see, oh, so-and-so's at work. What a fine, excellent worker they are, um, even though they're not being terribly productive. So there's had to be this shift from managing by activity mm. to managing outcomes. Unless you are in a job like customer service or IT support where you need to be ever present. For the most part, most jobs, if I have to write a report, does it really matter whether I write that report between 10 and noon in the morning or nine o'clock at night after the kids are in bed? Do you care when I write that report? As long as it's on your desk Friday morning when you need it. Right, no. So managing outputs, managing the collective work, right, versus all the little activities for some managers has been a very natural shift. That's they've long abandoned the kind of command and control thing. But there are a lot of industries and a lot of organizations where those are the metrics. And so that's been kind of, you know, the nice thing about micromanagers is they can't. You literally cannot micromanage people when they work remotely. It will drive both of you crazy. And so it's changed <laughs> the, the, the metrics and the way that uh, a lot of people are approaching their work. Um, so I think that's, that's the big thing. Now, that being said, managers do require information in order to get their work done. You know, you can't help if you don't know what's going on. And so getting the information you need, being able to stay in communication so that the employee's feeling supported and the manager's getting what he needs to do his or her job is taking some adjustment. Not everybody is taking to it as smoothly as everybody else. Let's look at an, an example of a client, let's say, where they were struggling at first and what is it that they did or that you helped them with and now they're running more smoothly? Well, a, a big part of it is, and this sounds obvious, but pre-COVID, it took an act of Congress to get people to use their webcams. People hated using them. They would talk on Skype or whatever, but they wouldn't have their cameras on. And but it makes such a huge difference. Human beings crave human contact. If we're going to build relationships, a big piece of that is putting faces to names. Um, and, and so the use of webcams, the use of instant technology. I mean, if COVID has to happen, this was the right time for it to happen because the technology exists mm -hmm. to overcome this. You know, I can't imagine doing this 10 years ago. So 
the technology is a big piece of it, right? Do we, are we using the technology that's helping us build the relationships? It's also really critical, I think, that managers take the time to move just beyond transactional communication. When we were all in the office together, you know, you had those moments before a meeting where you'd bust somebody chops about their football team or ask how the kids were or, oh my gosh, I forgot to send you that. Let me get that to you, right? You have those kinds of conversations. One of the first thing that happens when you start working remotely and, and, you know, every manager has said this, all right, I know you're busy. Don't let me interrupt. Let's get right to it. And you don't have those conversations. You don't have that casual conversation. Everything is transactional. And you need to be hyper aware about that. Uh, even if that's somebody's work style. I was in a class this morning and, and, and somebody said, oh, I hate all that chit chat. I just want to get down to work. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's your work style. I get it. And if you don't engage in those activities, what are you missing out on? And it's not just the social component, although that's part of it. It's also context. Somebody's got a sick kid. How much of their mind share are you going to have today? That's kind of important to know. Mm -hmm. And especially right now, we need to understand what's going on with people. Uh, is anybody sick? Uh, are they trapped in a house with kids bouncing off the walls who need to be homeschooled are and while we're spending a lot of time on the families there are a lot of people harvard business review just or gallup rather just did a, a study 20 percent of people who work from home right now are suffering from isolation and loneliness mm -hmm. that has an impact on the quality of their work and you know, if somebody's seeming like they're really needy, they might be really needy. There might be a reason for that. They're not just being obnoxious or sucking up your bandwidth. So there's a whole level of relationship building, empathy, grace giving that, um, that needs to be present, especially right at this moment. That's true in general, but it's especially yeah, true. Yeah, that is such an important point. Wayne, because I think um, getting on calls, I can see where I hadn't thought of it as being transactional, but it makes perfect sense that you're on this call for a specific reason. Let's get it done. Let's get off. But you're so right about that human element, looking at the whole person, not just this one task that we're focused on at this moment. Well, and the thing is, when we're in close physical proximity with each other, that happens organically. And it happens yeah. literally without us thinking about it, unless you're a complete ogre, you know, some type of horrible psychopath. You walk by somebody's desk and they're beating their head on the monitor. It's pretty natural to go, is everything okay? But if I'm... 500 miles away, I have no idea. When I, when I ask how they are and they say fine, I think they're fine. You know, there is not a married person in the world who will accept fine as an answer. We know if somebody comes home from work, how's your day, dear? Fine. 
are you dumb enough to think it was fine? I'm not. Right? I'm picking up all kinds of cues. They, the tone wasn't there, the way they slammed the door, all that stuff. Okay, she says she's fine. I'm guessing there's a conversation here. But if I'm checking in with you, Meredith, how are you doing on that project? Oh, fine. Okay, great. Check. Next question. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm curious, related to this whole thing of how leaders need to adapt, it sounds like what you're saying is there's an element of the, you might say, right brain, that intuitive side, it, mm -hmm. you know, paying attention to all those cues and giving time. It just sounds like there needs to be the time invested in really asking questions and finding out what's really going on with someone. Have you seen some leaders who've done that particularly well? I'm just curious what you see as trends for what you might think of the ideal way for a leader to relate to folks these days? Well, the biggest thing I think is making sure, and this, this sounds counterintuitive, it goes back to that model I talked about earlier that, you know, the work still needs to be done, but how we do it is different. Technology radically changes the way we interact and sometimes interferes with the things that happen naturally. Uh, I'll give you an example my wife was once fired by instant messenger. Now, I think we can agree, probably not the right tool for that particular right. task. <laughs> now, it got the job done, the message got understood. Uh, he didn't have to deal with the tears and the questions and the screaming, right? Technically it did the job, but it wasn't the right tool for the right job. And one of the things about technology is if we're using it like we're using it now, where we can see each other's faces and we're reading body language and I can tell when you're bored with my answer and you can give me the okay, Wayne, wrap it up sign and we're doing great, that isn't always there. And it makes it very easy as well to choose the easy way out. Now, firing somebody by instant messenger is a pretty radical example, but we've all known, oh, I need to have that conversation with Alice, but I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to send her an email and talk to her in the morning, right? The ability to do the easy thing as opposed to the right thing is there with technology. It's very tempting because you can spend a, send a message at the speed of light doesn't mean you ought to. Mm -hmm. You know, any of us who have ever spent three days apologizing for an email it took 30 seconds to send know that that's a problem. And one of the things that I geek out about, and I don't understand why everybody doesn't think this is as fascinating as I do, Meredith, is this is the first time in the history of the human race that over 70% of our workplace communication takes place in writing. Mm. email, text, instant message, whatever. That has never happened before. I mean, we all know people, we've probably done it ourselves, where you can put in a full day's work and never actually have a conversation with another living human. Mm -hmm. Well, 
if you look at richness versus scope, face-to-face -face communication is incredibly rich. You're getting lots of, you're, you're doing that listening, picking up the subtle cues, all that stuff. You don't get that from an email. Right. And so what managers need to be aware of is, am I choosing the right medium for the right message? to make sure that I'm getting the information I need as well as just sending the information. Yeah. So I think that wisely using technology um, is, is the biggest challenge because good managers in person are most likely going to be with enough practice, good managers remotely. If you're a crummy manager, or you struggle, let's be, let's be generous. If you struggle as a leader in person, it's gonna be infinitely more complicated when you're working at a distance. Mm -hmm. And from the worker's perspective, what have mm -hmm. you heard they have struggled with in this, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm just curious, I know their perspective is somewhat different from a leader's perspective. Well, it's very different. Uh, and there were probably two things, I think. In the, the, we've got a follow-up book to the long distance leader coming, the long distance teammate. And so we interviewed a whole bunch of people. And there are two things I think that people who work remotely, especially those who are new to working remotely, which is, mm -hmm almost everybody since March. Um, two things that are really uh, important. One is that there is a tendency to become very focused on your own tasks and your own work because that's within your span of control and you can do it without involving a bunch of other people. So, you know, there's a pretty famous Harvard re Business Review study. They said, you know, Hey, people who work from home get more done. And that's true if your only metric is checking stuff off a list. But if you start looking at what work are they doing, what you find is they get really good at the administrivia, really good at the stuff that is inside their span of control, but they struggle with the collaboration, the brainstorming, the information sharing, which is such an important part of most of our jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the first thing is there's a tendency to, the second thing, and it's taken companies a while to realize this is a bad thing, is that people are really bad at guarding and structuring their time. And so in a world where we carry, you know, our umbilical cord with us at all hours, um, the lines between work time and family time, personal time uh, have in many cases disappeared. One of the reasons people who work from home get more done is they work more hours. All that time that's spent commuting, having birthday cake in the break room, all that stuff doesn't happen. 80% of people who work from home do not take a lunch break. Oh, they might eat, but they work at their desk. Ah. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't immediately noticeable because when everybody went into COVID lockdown, 
they hit the ground running. Productivity didn't drop nearly as much as people thought it would. People were making it work. And so there was this illusion that, oh, this is going to be great. What they don't realize is people were making it work by working extra hours. They were being superhuman in the efforts they were putting in. Mm -hmm. They were pulling together because it was a crisis and people are really good at pulling together in a crisis. Now we're six, nine, however many months we are into this and the edges are starting to fray a bit. People are tired. They haven't taken their vacation time. Mm -hmm. The number of hours of PTO that are banked for Q4 that have not been taken is staggering. And some of it was, well, I can't take time off because I don't want to look like I'm slacking. Some of it is I can't take time off because the company needs me. Some of it is I can't take time off because I can't go anywhere anyway, so why bother? But what's happening is people haven't taken their time. They haven't been really good about being able to set those boundaries. And it's partly the organization and the manager's job to help them do that because they've never done it before. Mm-hmm. I've worked from home for 15 years I've, and remotely before that, but I've always worked from home for the last 15 years. I've got this down to a science. I've figured it out. But it was pretty ugly at the beginning. Um, so, you know, the two things I think to answer your question are putting guardrails around their time and making sure that they have the information they need to work on the right things in the right way at Mm -hmm. the right time. Yeah. And so what that implies and what you bring out in the book so well are some of the changes leaders need to make in the way they lead remote teams. And in particular, you focused on coaching and feedback. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what the role is of each of those in being an effective leader of remote teams. Yeah, it's funny. If you look at, and Kevin has certainly done more of this research than I have because it's his, it's, it's his bailiwick, is the leadership piece But most managers will confess that if you look at all the stuff we do in our jobs, the part we probably don't do as well is the coaching piece. Mm -hmm. And certainly we can always be better at giving feedback. Well, when you work remotely, this is true and it's more complicated. Feedback is a good example. You know, we all know there should be a... uh, a balance of positive and negative feedback, and most of us struggle to achieve that balance anyway. Well, when you work in the office, you're walking down the hall and you see somebody and you go, hey, good job. Uh, Nice work in that meeting today. Love that. Because you have constant access to each other and you're getting visual, visual cues. Oh, there's Meredith. I need to make sure that I say something to her. When we work remotely, there are two things. One is out of sight, out of mind. The second thing is every time we communicate with a member of our team, it takes effort. And so we tend to wait until there's a, you know, if we gave somebody positive feedback every time something happened, we'd be doing nothing but sending IMs and emails and being on the phone. So we tend to wait until there's a good excuse to talk to somebody. Oh, I need to make sure next time I talk to Bob, I tell him what a good job he did. 
But if Bob messes up, that's the good excuse I'm waiting for, right? We, we have no problem reaching out if there's something that needs to be addressed right away. And so the perception, at least, from the, the worker's standpoint, is they get a lot more negative feedback than they do positive feedback. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, next time your boss sends you an instant message and it just says, hey, have you got a minute? What's your reaction? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> exactly right. Nobody goes, I get to talk to my boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just an example where we need to be very mindful of the amount of feedback that it's given in the right way, right? Do we send a nasty email or do we take the time to get on webcam and have the conversation the way mm-hmm. it should be had? I want to just stop you for one second. Cause I was just thinking how my two business partners and I have worked together for 30 years. We've worked remotely for years. And I have learned that when I'm typing an instant message, I have to give a little bit more detail about if I want to talk to them. Because even with that, I know one of them has said, oh, I wonder, did I do something wrong? So you can be innocuous, really, in what you're, you're writing. You don't mean anything by it, but you really do have to take time to think about how might this be read or perceived by the other person because you can unwittingly create anxiety where none should be. That's the thing is because they're not getting the cues. You know, if the boss is walking to your desk, if she's got a big old smile on her face and she's like waving a piece of paper, you're like, ooh, this is good news. I I like this. Hey, have you got a minute? Does not tell me. <laughs> right. And it, also, exactly. and it also becomes a barrier to productivity. If the boss says, hey, do you have a minute? Is there an answer other than why sure? <laughs> yes. Right? Even if it's the worst possible time. Now, if you've got a great relationship, if, if you've established the, the trust and the empowerment most of us know, and most of us as managers know, if somebody says, hey, it's not a good time, can I talk to you in 20 minutes? That's an acceptable answer. How often do people give us that answer? Usually it's drop whatever I'm doing, roll my eyes and say, why, sure, talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, we forget the godlike power we possess over people's lives. And so very often, you know, a request from us goes to the top of the to-do list, even if it's not the most important Mm -hmm. thing they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And heaven forbid we give them two or three tasks. We're not thinking anything about it. But all of a sudden there's a crisis over where do I prioritize this? He's given me three things to do. Which one do I do first? Ah, Mm-hmm. And we can't see them do that. Uh, <laughs> that right. You know, whereas if we're in the office, we can go, oh, question? And, and the coaching thing is equally difficult because not only do we need to remember to do it, but we need to do it as richly as possible. So if you're having a coaching conversation with me, 
if you were in the office, what would you do? You'd take me to a quiet room, maybe your office, maybe a conference room. We sit down, it's just us. We got our coffee, we're talking, and your full attention is on me. I've got to have a coaching conversation with Alice. We don't have our webcams on. I can't see her. I hear click, click, click in the background. I don't know what she's doing. Um, you know, I'm not giving her the same attention mm -hmm. that I'm giving when we're face to face. Now you can be using your webcams you can say hey i'm going to be taking a few notes if you hear some typing that's what it is i'm not answering email but if we don't do those things if we aren't mindful about the environment we set and make sure that we're making it as rich a communication experience as it can be it might not be as effective as it could be mm -hmm. those are such important points um because I think part of what I'm hearing from you is we need to think about it from the other person's perspective. You know, how might they be receiving if I do this this way? What, how do I come across? What, or, or the opposite question is, how do I need to structure things to create an environment where the other person can participate in a, at a maximum level? You know, I'm biting my lip because part of me thinks, you know, the world would be a better place if we did that in general. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, absolutely. Wayne, and the right. difference is if I start to say something and your eyes glaze over or you go, go red or I get some sign, my brain goes, whoa, let's check in. Let's see how it's going. Right. So we aren't as mindful of that because we've got a safety net around us. We need to be mindful. The, the complicating thing about working remotely is that we do need to be not hyper aware, but vigilant. Mm hmm that we, what we are doing, we are doing on purpose. Mm -hmm. If I choose to send an email, is this the right meaning for this? Yeah. Do I read it over twice so that the tone is right? You know, because when I send it, I have no idea what the reaction is on the other end. Yeah. If I'm interrupting somebody's day, it's important for me to check in with them. Hey, have you got a minute? Is this, is this a good time to have this conversation? Or, you know, I need to ask you something. When you get a minute, can we talk? Because if I just say, hey, let me ask you something. I don't know what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. So there are so many unknowns when we work remotely that we do need to be a little more aware than we would normally be. Oh, that's such a good point. Um, and I'm mindful of our time. I want to get you to talk a little bit about, you know, what's next? We've had these several months of, um, you know, working remotely. What do you see as the next phase of this? Yeah, um, I, I see a couple of things. And, and my crystal ball is no better than anybody else's. Okay? <laughs> Even though I, I live in this world, anybody who claims they can foretell the future is 
lying through their teeth. And there's some things that we know. Uh, one is that there is no new normal. Um, you know, everybody's waiting for whatever the workplace is going to look like. And for the next foreseeable future, it's going to vary, vary widely. It's going to vary by industry. It's going to vary by size of the organization. It's going to vary by jurisdiction, right? Mm-hmm. So there's every organization, every team, every everything is going to have to make its own set of rules. The second thing I think that is going to happen is that the genie is out of the bottle when it comes to working from home. A lot of people who didn't think they'd ever be able to work from home are suddenly finding, you know what, not spending two hours a day in a car is kind of good. Uh, Organizations are realizing we didn't think people in that department could work from home and look at this. Flexible work, the ability to work from home at least part-time is the number one requested perk right now. Mm. Above salary raise, above anything else. Now that people have experienced it, it's going to be really, really hard to say, okay, everybody back to work 40 hours a week. And organizations that insist on it are going to find resistance. Um, so there will be more hybrid teams where you've got some people in the office and some people remote and sometimes they're together and sometimes they're apart. And up until now, the default has always gone to the home team. If you've dialed into that meeting where everybody's in the conference room and you're on the speaker box and they're having a way better meeting than you are, that's no longer going to be the case because important people are now going to be on the line. So maybe instead of having that hybrid meeting, everybody's going to be on Microsoft Teams or WebEx or whatever they are so that it's a level playing field. Mm -hmm. As we think about promotions, as we think about opportunities for growth and development. Right now, good projects go to the people in the office because the boss goes, who can I get to do this? Oh, look, Bob. That's going to change. The inequity that people are feeling is going to kind of be evened out. Um, So I think those things are going to be true. We're going to have to think about people aren't going to be together all the time. And that means we're going to have to think about when do we invest in them being together? When does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it sounds like a lot of assumptions have been turned upside down. A lot of assumptions <laughs> have been turned. Basically, everybody's been wrong about everything <laughs> is what's happened. And now we're kind of seeing it. The things that we thought were great about remote work can wear pretty thin after a while, Mm -hmm. right? If we never get together, that can be a problem. Yeah. Um, The things that we didn't think were going to work, lo and behold, people are kind of making it work. Um, What a shocking thought, people will work unsupervised. (gasps) Nobody saw that coming. Um, But it's going to have long reaching effects. Um, You know, there are a number of states that are looking at remote work as the savior of small towns. Hmm. That, you know, used to be graduated high school, you went away to college, you never came home. 
now I can get a job in my hometown and I don't have to fight traffic every day and I don't have to live in a city I don't want to live in. And Mm. then what do we do with the cities and the people that are living there? And there's all kinds of things that, you know, if I were drinking a different beverage, I could pontificate about forever or at least ask a lot of questions. (laughs) Well, I think that you've given us so much food for thought and we've really just barely scratched the surface. There's a lot of richness in this book, the long distance leader and anyone who's in a leadership position, I encourage you to get this book because Kevin and Wayne just really hit the nail on in so many areas. And I think the way you've structured it, it's very practical and thought provoking for someone. And I love that you're coming out with a new book. Uh, around the remote um, team member. And in fact, I'll be interviewing Kevin um, in a future podcast about that book. Uh, But for now, talk a little bit about, uh, in wrapping up, how can people connect with you, Wayne? How can they get your book? How can they learn more about the services that you provide? Yeah, the easiest way, of course, is to come to remoteleadershipinstitute.com. If we'd known we were going to be so successful, we'd have chosen an easier name to type. Um, But remoteleadershipinstitute.com, we've got blogs, we've got downloadable resources. You can learn all about the ways we're working with our clients. Uh, Certainly, Long Distance Leader and the new book, Long Distance Teammate, anywhere they sell books will do nicely. Uh, And by all means, connect with either Kevin or I on LinkedIn or however else you want to do that, we are not hard to find. That's great. And on your show notes page, of course, we'll put a link to your website and to your books and to your various social media accounts. So Wayne, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share or say as we wrap up? I don't think so. Other than it's so easy to get lost in all this. And as you know, in long distance leader, we have rules. We didn't do the same with the teammate book, but rule number one is think leadership first, location second. And that goes to everything that we've talked about today, right? If I stop and think about what I ought to be doing as a leader, as a worker, as kind of job first, then think about okay, given our constraints, how do we do that? You're much more likely to be successful than if you start with the constraints. Mm -hmm. So that I think is what I'd leave them with. You know, rule one is think leadership first, location second. And rule 19 is when in doubt, remember rule one. (laughs) Well, and all the other rules, it's nice that they're associated with specific chapters. So if someone wants to go deeper on a specific Mm -hmm. one, um, and I... I just think that they're, they're so practical. They're, it, it's, you've just done an excellent job. So I appreciate well, very much you so being much. my guest today and sharing so much of what you've seen over the years. Uh, it, I know it'll be very valuable for my listeners, Wayne. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. 
Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.